0: Ethics. Tricky, isn't it? It's a bit like trying to capture a cloud. It shifts, and it's nebulous, and it's complex. Now imagine having to tether that cloud to something that's equally, if not more, complex. And that's right. Artificial intelligence. A maze of computations and algorithms that are continuously evolving even as we speak. Put ethics and AI together, and it's a bit like trying to juggle flaming torches while riding a unicycle on a tightrope. It's a challenge, to put it mildly. And then there's the Herculean task of integrating these ethics of AI into our businesses. It's one thing to talk about it, it's quite another to walk it, day in and day out. Enter Dan Silvera. I first ran into Dan when he was elbow deep in research, trying to figure out how companies can create AI products that are not only functioning well, but also play nice. We had a long chat about it and he promised to keep us posted once his research paper was done well guess what dan's back and he's ready to take us down the rabbit hole of his research fasten your seatbelts, because we are about to deep dive into the world of ethical ai
1: yeah my name is dan silvera i'm a service and experience design consultant for ibm's ix consulting firm within there i work on different projects depending on the client and i try to focus on ai products when i can before that i worked internally at ibm working on internal ibm products specifically cloud and devops products
0: hi uh jacob here i just want to break in if you're not familiar with the concept of devops don't worry i will come back and explain what it is before it becomes important for dan's story
1: i have a master of design the strategic foresight and innovation which is where this paper we're discussing today spawned from and i have a huge passion in both strategic foresight and ai which i've used that to grow what we call guilds in ibm so there's a guild called strategic foresight guild which i co-founded with roosevelt faulkner and megan mcgrath and then the ai guild which was led by adam cutler at first and now chris Nelson leads
0: all right nice could you tell us about your paper and what sort of yeah how did it come about and what is it
1: originally my target was looking at ux design and and where we are at in design and saying i was noticing that ux designers and companies and the way they evaluate technical debt in a certain way and is able to say, okay, we have this much technical debt, let's fit into sprints so that we can get it past this and prevent a problem from arising down the road. But I noticed there wasn't really anything around UX debt. So I was starting to think of how UX debt is really managed manually. And it was something that's done different from place to place. So I thought, hey, I'll focus on maybe AI as a potential solution for this. As I started exploring that area, I started noticing things about AI, which was really that there is a ton of ethical guidelines, frameworks, and things that you can apply to AI to make it human-centered and prevent potential issues arising down the road. But what I noticed was that the way that it was set up wasn't really in a way that teams can really incorporate really easy. It almost seemed like a lot of places were saying, hey, we have these guidelines and ethical frameworks, but they weren't really thinking about how to actually incorporate that. And so as I started digging more and more, I started speaking to different mentors I have. One of them is Don Norman, and then the other one is Carl Rendenberg, who's a huge uh, mentor for me at IBM, who's just absolutely amazing. And as I was starting to speak about these things, Don really was starting to talk about his new book that he was working on, which was about humanity centered. And we started talking about these different areas of AI. And he was talking from his own perspective of the early days of AI and how he's seen it develop over time. And it started making me really more interested in trying to find a solution for ethical design that works for a team.
0: So now it's time. I promised you that I was gonna tell you about DevOps or development operations. And it's gonna be good to understand DevOps before we move forward in the story. It's a topic that Dan is intimately familiar with from his work at IBM. DevOps is a set of practices that combine software development and IT operations. Its goal is to shorten the system's development lifecycle and provide continuous delivery with high software quality. Several DevOps aspects comes from Agile methodology, so that's how this fits into the work of Agile. Now, let's get back to Dan, who, when we left off, had just made some really interesting observations about AI and human-centered design.
1: And because I have that background in DevOps, and I really understood the DevOps pipeline, I wanted to understand the AI pipeline. And as I explored that, that's when I started uncovering this way of thinking of, hey, there's all these ethical guidelines, but are the teams really, are they absorbing it? Are they incorporating the work? And are they even able to? Who's owning it and that kind of thing. And that's what started leading to the further direction of the paper and how I led to trying to find a way to create a framework that can be built into a MLOps process that is used and understood through the agile project methodology, and actually could be incorporated early on rather than just waiting until everything's generally available and then starting to do ethical guidelines monitoring at that point.
0: Your paper is based around these methods for doing just that, practically implementing ethics and the thinking around ethics into the teams of an
1: AI DevOps organization. Exactly. So the goal of the paper and the framework is looking at the MLOps process, the people that work within that process, and giving them both a framework and toolkit that they can use to both really keep that human-centered approach all the way through, while also highlighting potential risks way early on, and then in that same phase, think about a solution rather than it just getting pushed along until it impacts someone down the road.
0: You interviewed a lot of people around these topics. What did you find? What did you hear from people actually working on this?
1: What I noticed right away was two things. The development people were saying, hey, we don't really. We don't really have a good way of incorporating all these guidelines during the development process, Uh, partly because we're so busy already with the work we have. It's hard to tack this on. Secondly, who's supposed to be owning this? We feel that it shouldn't be us that's owning this responsibility, not just because of the time limitation, but because they felt in some cases, some of them felt that they didn't even have the expertise in that area to really be doing that type of work. So there was a bit of a problem there of how do you fit it in? Who's supposed to own it as well as just doing two-week sprints. You're fitting in things and you're going quickly. How do you fit something in that's long-term? The other thing I noticed was designers who had a real passion for ethical design, aren't involved in any of that process. In some cases they're brought in at the very beginning during the discovery phase, but in most cases. They're just brought in at the very end when they're like, Hey, we need UX design. Let's tack them on in the end. And then that's when they start getting involved in it, but they haven't been involved through the whole process. So it's like a learning separation there because they're not fully understanding of all the decisions that went into the development of a product and why it ended up looking like it is. And so I wanted to mesh these two things of, Hey, how do I create something that both is very useful during this development process, alleviating some stress off of the developers, finding something that works within the agile methodology, and also brings in potentially, it doesn't have to be a designer, it could be someone that's designated as owner, but I recommended their designer to bring them in earlier in the process so that they can own that piece since they're already doing empathy and human-centered work already, they're keen for this. And by doing this, they actually go through the AI development process and by doing so become more educated and understanding of that process so that once they get to the end and they have to do the UX work or any other work, they're even stronger at that as well. So I was trying to find all these different puzzle pieces that I was discovering in my research and kind of fitting them all together to create something that worked.
2: In the absence of having something like this, what how were teams working? this subject was it were they just ignoring it was it just being rushed at the end what kind of patterns of behavior were happening
1: yeah so it depends on the team every team is was very different so the one thing i like i was mentioning before there's a lack of ownership generally in some cases obviously different companies have a specific person that might take that role but what i was noticing was just that uh, they had these frameworks and these guidelines and It was if someone flagged it, it got flagged, right? Sometimes the data scientists would do a good job of flagging certain things as they were going through the process, but sometimes there was a disconnect in the silos of knowledge between kind of data scientists and then the ML engineer later down the road as well. They may not fully understand what each other are, the decisions that were made between the data sources that were selected and those limitations as well. So what was happening was, There were instances where it was happening that was different in different companies. But at the end, that's when it was mostly being done was, okay, now when we're prepping it for the end of the road, let's start doing these things now. And that's why some of these things were getting leaked all the way through until the end, or if they weren't prioritized enough, maybe there wasn't a strong enough voice behind one of the concerns. It would just end up into the public until it was flagged then, and then it'd be fitted into a later sprint. So in one way, I felt that the whole thing was more reactionary than proactive, which is what this is trying to do is being proactive. I feel like in, in the way most teams work, it's reactionary. They work through it. They know that these kind of the company's ethical guidelines exist and they do their best to adhere to them, but there's not an actual thing forcing it along to ensure that that they're actually meeting those.
2: Can you just give me a flavor of the sort of things that are in these ethical frameworks and what would a typical company have that might be coming up?
1: Yeah, if I go down to my ethical framework, and this will kind of make sense why I put it up like this. So I have six different lenses to look at through. I have bias and fairness, diversity and inclusivity, privacy and security, ethical and safe, reliable and trustworthy, openness and transparency. I paired each one because what I found was each company had an assortment of these, but they didn't have this whole list. So they might have transparency and trustworthy, but they might be missing like safe or privacy something like that. Their guidelines are usually about that. They're trying to figure out, okay, transparency, we want to make sure that how it's built, What's, what decisions are making or how an AI is coming to a conclusion, of something is transparent. We want to make sure it's reliable so that we can ensure that, that the product itself is trustworthy and what it's outputting. And then there's the items like diversity, bias, and fairness. There are things that they're trying to do to ensure that an AI is not unfairly segregating or separating different groups of people. So that one is being treated in a better way than another. And this really came down through, I'm not sure if you've either of you have read the the book Weapons of Math Destruction. But that one's a really good one to read because this book it's by Kathy O'Neill. And what's wonderful about it is she's gone through all this work around data and how data is being used uh, in AI and then just in general with big data and how. Big data has led to these, these kind of consequences on the general public. In certain cases, employees of companies being laid off or let go due to just a, a algorithm and loop issue that wasn't properly feeding the data back in. So these companies, in some cases, they have guidelines that allow them to protect against those things, and the other times they don't. And that's why some of these issues leak into the general public.
0: So, how big were the gaps at these companies? Were was the norm that they had almost everything?
1: Yeah, that's so. It's a great question. So, I'd say they had the guidelines, right? It was really how do you ensure people are doing anything, really, right? IBM does a really great job, and because we have an AI guild and we have people like Adam Cutler and Anna Beck and Chris Nussel and other people that really put their heart and soul into ensuring that there are frameworks that IBM can use, right? IBM is really conscious about that, but other companies, they have these frameworks, even Microsoft, if you go through Microsoft and Google, both have really interesting frameworks to, or ethical guidelines to help eliminate or reduce the potential outcome of an AI, but really what it comes down to is just Are people able to fit them in? It's just, it's great to have these things, but are we really thinking about how these products are developed? We're developing so fast. The company, especially big corporations, two-week sprints, they're getting a lot done. And most of the time, they're lucky if they get the, the stories that they want done within the sprint. So are they able to fit these other items in? And who's ensuring that they're getting fit in? And how are they being prioritized and that kind of thing?
0: So you spoke earlier about designers and data experts, and this is a theme that comes back again and again, as soon as you talk about design and AI. What's the awareness from these two groups of each other? Do they know how to work with each other or is that also something that you
1: have? Yeah, there is, I would say a silo of knowledge between those two groups, I find that Data science and and, and data preparers uh, in general, they, they, unfortunately not because of them, they happen to work in a bit of a silo just because it's a very technical area as well. Not everyone understands the data and the math that goes into understanding how to put different data together and separate and that kind of thing. So I'd say that there is a real interest I know from this, uh, I can speak from my perspective of seeing how things are done at IBM. We have data scientists that are really getting involved in design and understanding the design thinking framework, for example, and try and understand those kinds of things to ensure what they are doing is better. And then I know designers are trying to better understand how data scientists work with data, but I'd say overall in the process, not on purpose, but I find that they end up being separate just because they're on two ends of the process right now. You have the people that are choosing the data and and mapping it together, and they're at the beginning of the pipeline here, and then you have designers at the very end. And in some cases, there may be crossover when you're building a UI that needs to understand how the data works to maybe do the visualization of the data or tables or anything like that but there's other times where there might be a separation of those two where they don't fully understand or get a chance to speak to each other Uh, so it does depend but i'd say it is farther apart today than it should be
0: how do you envision your framework being used now that you've released it and what's your ideal scenario there what do you want people and companies to do with your work?
1: Yeah, my goal is that people go through the paper, go through the little example hypothetical, because I take the whole toolkit, I do a hypothetical walkthrough of how you use each tool so that people understand how to use them. So my goal would be able to take this framework and these toolkits, and start adapting it to their work. And part of creating, for example, those six different lenses was Because each company has those different components of their guidelines that kind of fit into it. I wanted to make some over-encompassing thing that slots into different companies. Because one barrier could be, hey, this is great. It doesn't match perfectly with our ethical guidelines that we have in place. So I wanted to make something that was over-encompassing that could kind of slot in easily. So my goal is that people... Take these, they start fitting it into their work environment. And then they find, they really start thinking about who should own this work and then find someone to take that ownership through. Hopefully it's a designer, but like I mentioned before, it could be anyone, it could be product manager, it could be someone on the development team that's really interested in taking on this work. And hopefully down the road, we lead to less issues arising. The goal of this is not to eliminate every possible negative outcome that could come from AI, because it's just, it's not possible. What the goal is, let's try to reduce it as as much as possible so that we gain trust in AI and we ensure that what we're using it for is done. And I mentioned a little bit in the paper, even about AI winters and how those were because of, mostly because the industry lost trust or lost interest in in AI because they noticed the limitations of it and saying, hey, this isn't really as useful as we thought, or it wasn't doing exactly what we thought. And we saw a little bit about that with some of these different natural language processing products that came out at the beginning of the year. We saw some that did things really well, some that did things really unwell, (laughs) that actually we started seeing hallucinations right where the ai was hallucinating answers and how can you trust if you're using this for your company and it's just you're asking a question and then it's just making up an answer i read a paper that a lawyer was using chat gpt to do some case research on a file but when they looked into it they realized that the research it was pulling it was just making up it was getting confused and hallucinating kind of research to, to help his work. That creates a problem, right? The future AI winter could just be, we lose a a lot of trust in these, the usage of these products right now, there's just so much investment in it right now, but if we just keep seeing things where it's, hey, it's hallucinating answers, will the investment die down and if it dies down, will it die down enough where we get another AI, AI winter for a period of time? Who knows?
0: So what's your next step with this? What would be a logical next thing for you to do with this?
1: Yeah, my goal now is to take this and try to find different ways to articulate it to different people and expose it like podcasts, like your own, I probably going to continue writing different papers on different subject matter on the, on the topic and just continue on, and as I continue working on AI products myself and start seeing more things, I'll probably expand the different areas I will work on. And one other goal of this is, this is just the beginning of a toolkit. I wanted something that could be there for the community, but this is something where people can take it and over time create new tools that maybe there's gaps that I've missed that new tools can slot into nicely, Or maybe augmented versions of these tools that can make them even more powerful, that kind of thing.
2: Because it's creative commons, isn't it? That you've released these on, so that encourages the community to develop these and build on them, of course, referencing the original.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I wanted something, I really wanted to make sure that I encourage people to take it and be like, Hey, we can use this as a foundation and kind of expand on it.
2: I think one of the interesting things is that we're moving into a time where more and more companies are going to be building AI products and services that could, for example, have bias in them. Maybe five years ago, it was a lot less companies would be doing that. But now, arguably, almost every company could be creating an AI service that could have ethical impact. So I think it's really the spread of it is going to be a lot more than maybe what it was a few years ago.
1: Yeah, it's honestly, since the launch of ChatGPT and the, just the excitement around AI, it really, it really creates this, people are calling it the AI rush, right? The, The gold rush of the new year. And it really is that we're just seeing crazy amount of companies just, and even, not even companies, but like startups and just like DIY things that are just creating all of these different products. And there's... If you're not taking something like this into account when you're building it, you can really create some problems. One of my favorite chapters in my paper is the problem with AI is humans. And it's because I find there's so much fear of AI in the current day. And it's all targeted on, oh my gosh, we all know what it's going to do. Is it going to, it's going to take over jobs. It's going to, maybe it's going to do something where it it takes over infrastructure or something even more catastrophic. But I forget, I think people just forget that humans are the integral component of that. They are the ones deciding what AI product to build. They're deciding what data is being chosen to be implemented to that product. They're training the models to evaluate which model should be put forth, and then they're releasing it. And then they're the ones monitoring whether or not it's doing a good job and whether or not it's affecting some people in a negative way. So this focus on AI is a problem. We should be really scared of it. I think it's the wrong look. We need to be looking reflectively inward and say, how can we build products and ensure that we're upholding our own values in creating these products to ensure that we're building a good product and not just willy-nilly putting something together making your moonshine ai and releasing it to the public
0: if we look forward i don't know if years is even a good horizon anymore it feels (laughs) like it's coming down to to we need to do things in months or even weeks to have an impact but how do you what would you like to happen in terms of how companies approach creating ai in a responsible way
1: I think a, I think they really need to evaluate the development process a little bit further. I think that agile methodology is really great because it's fast, it's efficient, but you don't want to trade fast and efficient for quality. And I think in cases of this that we're in, where there's a rush to develop AI products, you want to be the first to develop it, right? And the problem with that is you s- skip a bunch of steps especially on the ethical side, right? So I just really, I see a future where it's inevitable that teams are going to be structured in a way that has to be highlighting, reducing these things in the beginning. And I think one of the solutions to this is really restructuring that development pod and building it to highlight potential issues early on, really... Uh, Making sure that everyone on the team knows the data that's going into it and being able to have an opportunity to decide whether or not certain data should be included or if there's a gap and there should be other data should be included as well. So I think it's really the future is restructuring that development team to make a more impactful product that doesn't have the limitations that can cause AI consequences and negative impacts on people. And we can look at this and we can be worried in certain circumstances, but as we, were, we have been discussing here, there's so many different products. We can't even really center our conversation on just a certain type of AI product. They're just making it for everything. But I think areas like education, health, finance, these are three areas that we really, even for government, right? We really need to be making sure that these types of products that are in those areas are really building with this this mindset so that groups that don't have a big enough voice aren't impacted and if they are that it's found and corrected as early as possible
0: how would you start structuring this in a different way that would be more in the direction of ethical ai better more quality
1: yeah my framework does a couple things there's one is it looks at the beginning and some of the development people i was speaking to they were saying how business comes by and they're like hey we want to build a product and that product is going to be an ai product and not always is it a product that should be an ai product one is really understanding whether or not there's a product whether or not it should be ml or ai product and then whether or not we should use certain data so when restructuring a team i think one is identifying an ownership of a person to own the work no matter if it's a designer or developer or product manager or someone else to own the ethical work and ensure that's being done but i think it's we need to restructure the way teams speak about ai as well i think that there needs to be a common language around ai i think that developers and engineers and everyone that's part of that process need to always have these different lenses like I have highlighted in the back of their mind so that when they're creating something, I'm seeing this over the last few years in UX design. It's amazing how far development teams have come with their understanding of UX design where I will be working on something and a developer will highlight something and be like, oh, I'm not sure if that, is the best experience for the user or something. They might catch something that I've missed. We want the same thing for ethical design as well. We want them to be thinking that as much as the owner. And I think time is money. (laughs) And when they are looking at two week sprints, we're really focused on getting things through. So what we need to really be doing is having checkpoints along the way. So it's having an order, having a conversation the way we communicate by ai and then also having milestones where we're checking in and saying and highlighting these issues they're not just being captured and then nothing's happening to them but they're Mm -hmm. being captured and they're being fed into the next sprint as early as possible
0: awesome and if we look closer at designers because that's many of the people that are going to listen are close to or in the discipline of design and what can we do to become better better proficient at working with this but also more able to take that ownership that you talk about
1: yeah so first thing is getting educated on the topic i'm sure a lot of designers right now have really been interested in ai and maybe just don't know where to start so i'd say the first thing is but there are just a ton of books. And I think one thing I'll be doing is releasing just all the books that I had to read for this so that people can choose which ones they want to read because there's a lot of books on the topic, but also that are related to AI, its history, how it's built. So both from a technical lens, a human center lens, and then also on the big data lens as well. I think the second thing is a lot of designers are probably like, okay, this is great. I'm really interested in reading stuff my product i'm currently working on is an ai related how can i get experience and in some cases if you're working for a large enterprise company you can have the opportunity to join something like i did an ai guild to learn more and get put on maybe a side project that you can work on the side another might be just either two things either working on something yourself at home working on kind of an AI product slowly at home. So you can just understand the process. It doesn't matter if it's complicated or simple. The other is you could put together a group of designers that are also interested and you just start with a little book club and you expand from there and see if you can use that to leverage yourself into other areas of design within the company.
2: If they're interested in finding the material, where's the best places to look? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm always reachable on LinkedIn. You can search my name, Dan Silvera, on LinkedIn, pop me a message. You can email me at, you can email me on my personal email, silvera.ux at gmail.com, if you like and you have any questions there. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. The paper you can find on LinkedIn, but if you just search my name, Dan Silvera, and empathic design framework for AI, it will pop up in Google and you can download it. And the toolkit is included in the appendix so you can. Take those pages and work with them right away after you read the papers. I look forward to hearing how people's experiences have been and incorporating this into their work. So, if you do have the opportunity to use this within your development team, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know what's working, what's not. And over time, we can make it a stronger thing.
2: Brilliant. I'm just really curious, Dan. Do you see that the responsibility for this lies with designers or? product owners or product managers or development teams or everyone. And if it's everyone, then is it no one? And like, how do you (laughs) see this being best adapt adopted?
1: Yeah. This is what the current day problem is, right? It's an everyone problem. And because of that, there's no clear ownership of it. And the closest thing we had were those kind of ethical, ethical groups boards, committees to evaluate AI products. But I think that every team needs an owner. So I think even though everyone is responsible, I think every development team needs a clear identified owner that takes responsibility and is held accountable for the ethical development of an AI product. And I think that's the only way it works. I think if you leave it up to everyone, you can't guarantee it's getting done. And, and if you assign it to someone, but no one's kind of holding that person accountable, then it's also not going to get done. If it's something that just the company is putting it up as a, say, hey, we do all these different guidelines, but the team has no way to incorporate into their work because they're working so fast and they have no ownership, then it's not going to get done. So the, it really comes down to clearly identifying an owner, making sure that the team is really working towards it and everyone's understanding of it and these tools are all meant to be done as a team right even though you have an owner it's not if you make the owner a designer it's not meaning the designer is just doing this in a silo no that they're just leading it to ensure that it gets done and being able to feed the results back to the larger team just like we would do in a design thinking framework a design thinking workshop But in the end of the day, it's everyone needs to understand these tools, understand these lenses and why they're important, but have the owner push it through the process.
0: Thank you, Dan, for coming on the show and talking to us. It's really enlightening and really cool to hear your thoughts on this.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you both.
0: Thanks for coming on, Dan. Yeah, and we are recording go for it jake i'm just gonna uh yes yes i am recording okay i'm just gonna bring up this and so david it was a couple of weeks since we spoke to dan and we have waited a little bit to release this because we both saw some opportunity to actually try out some of dan's stuff before we release it and i think that's uh gonna add some value to 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 have our our opinion on what these uh, tools and frameworks actually can do for us in in real life.
2: Yeah, totally. So if you go to the back of Dan's paper in the appendix, he has a whole heap of different canvases and analysis tools that you as a designer can bring to the development team and help identify some of the topics that he raises in the paper. So it's a real treasure trove of,
0: of, of tools for us. Yeah. How have you used it, Jacob? So uh, I'm in a project now where we're actually looking at different data sources. We have had this discussion previously about like, how do we even start to look at this in a structured way? And we've sort of looked at some of the aspects that dan bring up in his paper uh, we, we've looked at bias and fairness uh, but then we haven't maybe looked at the openness and transparency as well and he has this um tool that he calls the negative implications of data map and i looked at the title of that and i thought hmm, maybe this is actually exactly what i need for my project in order to to do this in a structured way and Even further in the back, uh, Dan has some some examples, and we're just going to steal some of that uh, for for describing what this tool does. It's basically six different triangles that are connected, and you can look at a data source. You put the data source in the middle. uh, Dan is showing this with population health data. And basically what you do is you you do the five whys exercise, but you have these additional layer of steering so that you're actually focusing on the right thing so if we look at the openness and fairness triangle uh, what he does first is you okay so we have the population health data and then what could be a problem when it comes to openness and transparency and that's a lack of transparency in population health data and then you ask yourself okay so what does that mean what implications does that have Um, and what that could lead to is an inaccurate or inconsistent uh, result from ai affecting trustworthiness. And the implication of that could be a lack of accountability and understanding of the model, which is a real problem. Uh, And I think this is a real good little method for for, for doing just this, looking at uh, the different data sources that we have in projects and evaluating them to see if do we foresee any big issues? Yeah, it's
2: a really good set structure, isn't it, that you can use and just yeah. makes it a lot easier to have these conversations with
0: teams. And I like that it's familiar with other tools yeah. that Five wise it makes sense to, to, to apply this in this way. It's really, good. Yeah,
2: one that really was useful for me and one of the initiatives I'm in is this user-centric machine learning impact analysis canvas that he's, he's put in the back. So as right. came up in the podcast chat, when developing machine learning solutions you need to understand, yes, the needs and requirements, but also what's going to be the positive and negative impact on people of this potential solution. So it's a canvas, and it starts off by defining the problem statement that the machine learning uh, initiative is trying to solve. And then you come down a level and identify a task or job that is currently done by a person, but that in the future would be done by the machine learning And then it challenges you and the team to think about, yep, we have the AI requirements, what we need to build to meet this. But then we also have the people requirements, human perspective, what do they need? And then second and third, what could be the positive impacts for the humans and what crucially could be the negative impacts? And then once you've surfaced these negative impacts, you can start to have an informed discussion about how we're going to make sure we don't have these negative impacts or mitigate against these risks. So I found this really useful. And as Dan said in the podcast, he wants the community to use this. They're all creative commons. We can build on them and share and develop these tools. So it's a fantastic uh, asset for everyone.
0: Is this a really good way for us designers to gather around something, uh, this type of toolboxes because we're going to need more tools than this this is one aspect the ethics uh, of it we as designers if we want to keep up to date and be relevant in the field of ai we're going to have to start building these design tools to to tackle some challenges connected to ai so this is a Uh, not just a good start it's a fantastic start uh, for something for us as a community to build on so i'm very very enthusiastic if you couldn't tell so check it out go to the back of
2: the paper see if there's anything that you find useful let us know get in touch with us get in touch
0: with dan and let's build this together link to the paper is in the description of this episode if you have enjoyed this episode of designing the robot revolution where we've interviewed dan silveira please get in touch with us and even better share it with one friend that you think will have real good use of these methods and tools this has been designing the robot revolution with your host jacob magno and david griffith jones have a great day have a great day everyone bye-bye